You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. I'm currently sheltering in place. My wife is a nurse who works long hours, and so I've been spending most of my time alone. Something that I've been thinking about a lot during this pandemic is my family. They're all thousands of miles away. I've been worried about them. My parents are both about 70, and one of my grandparents is still alive too, my grandma from my mom's side. She's 92, living in a nursing home in Florida that banned visitors over a month ago. Anyway, before this whole coronavirus crisis, I was working on a few new episodes that I had to put on hold because the places where I do a lot of my research are closed, plus I can't interview people in person anymore, and I don't really like the sound of phone interviews, but I want to keep putting out this podcast. So I was thinking about that and thinking about my family, and then I remembered something. About four years ago, when I first got a digital recorder, I interviewed my grandma. I call her Oma. And I'm so, so glad I talked to her back then, because even though she was a little scattered, the next time I visited, her dementia had gotten way worse. Now, her memory is completely faded. She can barely even talk. I never really intended to use this interview for East Bay yesterday, but I've changed my mind for a few reasons. First of all, we talk about local history. In the early to mid-1970s, my grandpa, I call him Opa, was stationed at the Oakland Army Base, and my Oma volunteered there. As you're about to hear, it was a pretty crazy time. I don't want to give anything away, so all I'll say is, war tears people apart, but it can also bring them together. Another reason I'm putting out this episode, and I say this with as much humility as possible. I'm hoping that it might inspire some of you. See, even though I'm a historian, an amateur historian, I don't really know that much about my own family's history. I've been interviewing people since I was about 15 years old, but I never interviewed either of my grandparents from my dad's side or my grandpa from my mom's side, Opa, and they're all gone now. I feel like I barely know anything about them. If I could go back, there are so many things I'd ask, but I can't. So don't make the same mistake I did. Talk to your elders now, or if you are an elder, try to record your memories for future generations. Okay, enough preaching, you get it, and I'll be honest, I'm anxious about exposing so much about my family in this episode, but I'm proud of my Oma. She survived a lot in her lifetime. Challenges far worse than anything I'll ever have to face. At least, I hope so. Even though she can't even stand up or feed herself anymore, she's giving me a lot of strength right now. And I hope that strength is contagious. Because today on East Bay Yesterday, we'll be talking about my Oma and Opa. I'm your host, Liam O'Donohue. Stay tuned. 
My opa's name was Jim Driscoll. He was born in 1921 and grew up in Chicago. He didn't have a happy childhood. His dad, my great-grandpa, fought in World War I, and it messed him up. He wasn't around much. As a young man, Jim worked at a bus station, and I'm just speculating here, but I imagine that it made him want to travel. You know, here he was, this working-class kid, never been far from Chicago, and all day long he was watching people coming and going from all over the country, places he'd only read about. When World War II exploded, he joined the army, and that was his ticket out. New Orleans, Germany, Turkey, Korea, Virginia, Newfoundland, Kansas. Over his five decades in the military, he ended up serving in all these places, and more. Towards the end of his career, in 1971, he got transferred to the Oakland Army Base. Moving the family across the country, that was Oma's job. I was in Chicago. That's where I was with the kids, the cat, the dog, and the whole bit. And so we had to try to figure out how to get us over to California. And we couldn't find anything or anybody to uh, help us with that. And finally, I decided in desperation, I'm going to actually do the driving, but in very small increments, like 250 miles a day. Time I've got, money I don't. Opa was moving back from Korea, so he wouldn't be part of this cross-country trip. It was just Oma, my mom, and my uncle and aunt, Terry and Maura. And it turned out to be the best idea we ever had because we took all the historical places in, with, along the way. We went to Custis, Custis Battlefield, and we went to, what's her name's, gold vines that go up instead of down. After a quick stop in Yosemite, they finally arrived. So had you ever been to the San Francisco no, area no, before? No, this was all new to me, and it was really funny because I had told the kids, now you behave yourself, because California, uh, San Francisco is a very formal town. People go out well-dressed in the evening. So remember that when you, when you get there. Uh-uh. We got to Oakland. We got over the bridge. The first thing we hit was, what's the name of the street that it goes at that has all the... Market Street? Before that, you have to still be on the other side. Oh, in no, Oakland? No, they're not in Oakland anymore. In you San bet, you're just over the, you ba- get over the Bay you're Bridge. You're just barely over the Bay Bridge. And you have this, this uh, street. Broadway? Broadway. Okay. Broadway. And one dive right after the other. And... Terry looked at me and said, Hey, Mom, is that the formal town you were going to take us to? (laughs) Anyway, Opa, or Jim, was a colonel in the Army, and his position at the base was Director of Personnel and Administration. When I asked Oma about this, she told me a lot of things I'd never known before. When Opa was stationed at the Oakland Army Base, when he was doing the uh, transportation mm-hmm. logistics, how did he like that job? He didn't. Why didn't he like it? Well, he, he actually, he, he was never, this probably sounds very strange, because he didn't stay in the Army because he wanted to. He stayed in the Army because of me. And he was, he was you know how he was. He was very easygoing and everything. And I used to feel a little little bad about that because 
I knew he only stayed because of me. What do you mean by that? Can you explain? What? Why, what do you mean he only stayed in the army because of you? Because he still had a time in, in, in order to get married. He had to finish those three, four years. He couldn't have get married and not do that. And he wanted to get married. He really did. <laughs> so that's... But then what about after that three or four years he stayed in Well, the it's too late then. Once you have to sign the paper and you're in it and that's it. There's not, you can't get out of it again. You just, you are in the army and that's it. Look, obviously he could have left the military at some point. I think Oma means that Jim felt like it was his only option. It was the only career he'd ever known. So you're saying basically like he wanted to be able to provide for a family yeah. and stay with you and have a career that would allow him to see the world right. and support his family. And so that's right. kind of why he stayed in the military. Right. Yeah. Pretty exclusively. He would never have stayed without that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the family part. The irony of all this is that even though being in the army put food on the table and all that, it also kept Jim away from his family. Like when he was in Korea. And they had to move every few years, wherever the military sent them. What did you think of the Oakland Army base? Oh, I didn't really think too much about it. It was a, bit, a kind of a mess. But Dad didn't really care for it either. I think this impression was influenced by the timing of when my grandparents were there. I'm working on a whole episode about the Oakland Army base, so I'm not going to go super deep on details right now. But here are a few things you should know. The Oakland Army base only existed for half a century, from about World War II until 1999. It wasn't the kind of operation with soldiers running through mud puddles and jumping over logs and stuff like that. It was mostly a massive shipping facility. Trucks and buses and trains and ships were constantly coming and going, either picking up or dropping off supplies, everything from tanks to whiskey. And during wars, troops shipped through there too. In the Vietnam era, over 37 million tons of cargo passed through. When Opa got promoted to deputy base commander, his job was to coordinate all this. Unfortunately for him, military morale was at an all-time low during the early 1970s. Overseas, privates were killing their officers rather than take on suicidal missions in the jungles of Vietnam. And here in Oakland, just to give one example, there were riots downtown when police attacked protesters trying to shut down the draft. But it wasn't just outside pressures that were getting to Opa. His son, my uncle Terry, was adamantly opposed to the war, and he wasn't shy about his opinion. We got in a lot of trouble with that and him. What do you because, mean? Well, he was just saying, you know, I don't know why you stay in this lousy job. Uh, and, and I used to get tell Terry, this is, this is what he is doing. You can't talk like that to your father. But he was in ROTC and hated it. He just, they were giving him a full paid scholarship, all four years of college, the whole nine yards. And I said, Terry, you know, we're not rich. ROTC stands for Reserve Officers Training Corps. It's for college students planning on a military career. My Uncle Terry did not want to be in it, but his parents insisted. 
he just really hated the allergies. In fact, it got so bad that he started getting really bad stomach aches. And the doctor, he was on his side instead of my side. He said, you're causing your son severe stomach trauma because you're insisting that he does this and all this kind of stuff. Well, that was not a happy time. Do you think a lot of Terry's resistance to being in that was due to the Vietnam War? Was that something? Did he talk about his opposition to that war a lot? Oh, yeah. He was all, he gave him a chance, he would talk about it. He said, that was just just terrible. This is, this is inhuman. This is awful. I said, well, we didn't really do that now, did we? We didn't start this thing. Somebody else did. And right now we're trying to save a lot of people. And then what did, what did Oprah think about it? Oh, he, he didn't like it, obviously. Uh, he was not a war person. Yeah. In fact, that was, he was not an army person either. He was about the opposite of an army person. It was really surprising to hear this because I always thought of my Opa as an army person. I mean, he's patriotic. He's even buried in Arlington National Cemetery. But then I started to think back. He's been dead for over 20 years, so my memory is a little hazy. But I can't really ever recall him talking about war stories or anything like that. His whole attitude was just peaceful. He loved nature. I only remember him losing his temper once. I was probably about five or six. I was shooting at him with a water gun that was shaped like an M16. He grabbed it out of my hand and stomped on it until the plastic was just broken little shards. I don't even think he said anything. He just walked away. By the early 1970s, a lot of soldiers were coming back from Southeast Asia, and some of them weren't coming back alone. One of the things that happened at the time was that they had war brides. And when things started to go kind of bad, these women were trying to get over over to America and they wouldn't let them have any. The Americans didn't want them. So then what is that? What do you have to do with that? Well, we uh, got involved because these women didn't have any money and their husbands didn't have much money. It wasn't like it is today. So we would have these young women and young soldiers, and I mean god-awful young, with babies of two years old, and the father was 18 and the mother was 17. And uh, in order to, uh, to get back over to the States, they just had to go through a system, and the system didn't really exist back then. So that was, that was a really serious problem. And so they took women like me who were involved because of they felt sorry for both sides. They asked us if we could would help out, and I said, yeah, sure. The process wasn't easy, but when Americans brought back their new wives from Southeast Asia, the military hooked them up with some free stuff to help them start their lives together. Oma's volunteer job at the Oakland Army base was to connect the couples with basic necessities. And then I got to the point where I had to do some really serious work, and they were getting out dishes, and they were getting out sheets, and they were getting out all the stuff that young marrieds who ought to have, haven't got two nickels to together don't have. 
And we had a, finally got a warehouse in Oakland that we could go into and draw the stuff from. Do you think one of the reasons why you felt empathy and you, that you wanted to support these couples is because do you feel like there's it, it was similar at all to what you went through during World War II? Yeah, very much so. I know just how it is if everybody says no and considers you a lower-grade person, which they did and do, did, I should say. They didn't anymore, thank goodness. You might have already guessed this, but Oma was not born in the United States. She grew up in Germany. As a young girl, she helped out in her father's, my great-grandfather's, bookstore. I have a tattoo on my arm of this bookstore's logo. It's a ship sailing on a book. Anyway, before the war, the bookshop was a gathering place for writers, musicians, poets. A lot of the people in this artsy, intellectual scene were Jewish. In his journal, my great-grandfather wrote that the local Nazis tried to shut his store down and called him, quote, a salon Bolshevik and mercenary in the pay of the Jews. Eventually, the bookstore was bombed, and he wrote that all his Jewish friends either fled or were taken to concentration camps. Oma and her family eventually fled, too, to a small university town where they all lived in a tiny upstairs room. After the war ended and Germany was under military occupation, she found a job that would end up changing her whole world. I had had a little job with Americans in the, in the typing pool. I don't know how I got that, but I did. And I met some nice girls. And one of the girls, she said, we have to get out of here. She said, I have had it with looking at bombed out houses. I just can't take it anymore. And I'm due a little leave. And why don't we get together and take a little trip? So in September, she and I went to Bavaria for a week. This was a whole new country. Nothing was broken. It, nothing was, was bombed out. It was just fantastic, really beautiful. And the weather was gorgeous. And uh, the, thing, <laughs> the thing was most amazing. We were going, just walking, you know, up on the hills and everything. And there was a little cafe, and it sold postcards. And she said, oh, I tell you what, I got some very nice people that I used to work for. Why don't we send them a postcard? So we got a postcard, and one of the people we sent it to was a Lieutenant Driscoll. I said, who's that? Oh, she said, it's just an American lieutenant who's working in my, in my office. But I figured, and you can, you can sign it too, that's okay. You know, I signed the card not knowing that Jim was going to be my future husband. I mean, gee, guess who would have thought a thing like that, you know? But I did. I signed the card, and when I got back to Heidelberg, I had been home about two weeks or so, got the phone call, and uh, there was somebody on the telephone. They said uh, they were from Gießen, and they wanted to talk to Miss Tillman. And I said, well, yeah, okay. And he said, well, uh, I am in Gießen, and I just wanted to find out if you were the person that signed the card when she, when I got the card that from, from Bavaria. And I said, yeah, it probably was, but who are you? <laughs> so he tried to explain who he was. And I could tell he was just, he was very floundered by this whole idea. And 
really, I think he was just at loose ends terribly, just didn't know what to do with himself. So he said, oh, that's really nice. Do you think, mind if I call you again sometime? I said, no, go right ahead. Yeah, we do have a telephone, so, uh, which is more than a lot of people have. So then the next day he called back and he said, uh, would you mind very much if I came over to see you? And I said, no, please come, go ahead. That's fine. It's just that don't just enough to touch my house or anything like that. So he said, oh, that's, that's okay, but I'll come over. Well, the day came, it was a weekend, I think, and uh, nobody showed up. And I said, well, he just thought he didn't want to really do this in the first place. So he won't be up. It was about 9 o'clock by this time. So then I was, I was thought to forget the whole thing. And about five minutes later, my brother came to the door. Somebody had rung the doorbell and said, there's somebody, an American down there. He's asking for Miss Tillman. Is he working for you? And I said, well, I guess there's only one of us. So I assume that's me. What Looking, did you think of Opa when you first met him? Oh, I, it was like love at first sight. It was, I think, both of us, which is sort of, Oh, God. It was just, I think his one eyebrow went up to here. <laughs> I don't know what mine, but it didn't, I, it was really love at first sight. How crazy is this story? I mean, what are the odds of any of this? It just, I don't know, it just makes me feel like I shouldn't even exist. But here I am. And I met my wife, Elizabeth because of a war too. Her family had to flee Cambodia after it was destabilized by a massive American bombing campaign and then taken over by a genocidal maniac. And that's why she was raised in California, a state that neither of us was born in, but where we met at her art show. And, uh, you know, sorry, I'm getting distracted. The point is, wait, what's, what is the point? Oh yeah. I'm just kind of wondering what you think about how there's like these horrible situations like these wars, World War Two, Vietnam, etc. And so, so much violence and, and destruction. But, you know, these things happen, these unexpected relationships like you and Opa or yeah. these other couples that get together. And it's just, I'm just kind of wondering if you've thought really about how kind of these outcomes that are, that, you know, that never would have happened if it wasn't for those. Well, that's true. That, that's very true. Nobody could really foresee what was going to happen at all. Everybody was in the same boat. It was a big mixing bowl of, of all these people from all different countries and all different nationalities. and all. Nobody had enough to eat except the Americans. So it was the biggest mess that anybody has ever had to put up with. After the war, when Germany was being occupied by a bunch of different countries, including the United States, a lot of German people had lost everything. They were desperate. And so when young German girls started hooking up with American soldiers, these relationships were looked at with a lot of, let's say, skepticism. That's not something that you can appreciate if you're somebody who's on the other side, you know, because uh, they all have enough to eat. They can't understand how what it is like not to be able to eat or anything like that. So, yeah, that, that's a real problem. It's, it's no question about it. It's, uh, it. it's, well, if you were lucky and you had family to back you up, 
well, that's fine and good, but a lot of people had, what left was that their families were bombed out. They had nothing to eat themselves. They had no home to go to. So there was a great deal of uh, very bad discrimination. It really was. Even though my grandparents faced some disapproval, you know, people talking behind their backs, whatever, they were able to keep seeing each other and eventually get married and raise a family. The obstacles were even greater for mixed-race couples. By that time, American women came over with their children, and they took one look at these white women having sex with black soldiers in Germany. And in Germany, being black is not what it is in America. You never saw a black person before. So what's so bad about them? You know, we just automatically said, they seem like nice people. Well, if you're an American and, and you look see that, they don't, you don't think that way. You just don't. The, the German girls originally, they, they just jumped at the idea of marrying a nice-looking guy. I, I even have pictures. Dad was at one of the weddings. In the spring of 1975, the American military was pulling its last troops out of Vietnam. It wasn't a smooth exit. Saigon, the capital of the South, was in chaos. Meanwhile, back in the Bay, Oma was volunteering for a group called the Gray Ladies. They were basically like assistants to the Red Cross who helped out at healthcare facilities. One day, she gets a really crazy phone call. They called me um, from the Gray Lady's office, which is the Red Cross. Mm -hmm. And they called all the Red Gray Ladies that were available. Would they please come down and help out with the imbibing children? And we need every pair of hands we can get to get these children uh, in some kind of a situation where we can pass them on to someone else uh, for, for a more permanent affair. In the meantime, it's more important. They have to be fed. They have to be diapered. The rest of it can wait. What she's talking about is Operation Baby Lift. This was a really controversial decision made in the final days of the war to evacuate about 3,000 children from orphanages in Vietnam. Some of them had American fathers. Nobody knew exactly what would happen to these kids when the North Vietnamese took over, but there was a lot of very dark speculation. The first Operation Babylift plane to arrive in Oakland didn't even have seats. Dozens of children and a few adults were just piled in among blankets and cargo nets. Some consider the people behind Operation Babylift to be humanitarians, heroes. Others have called them kidnappers. Either way, Oma was one of the volunteers who helped take care of the babies after they arrived in the bay. I went over there and, and I said, I'll be happy to, to diaper them and, and uh, feed them whatever we've, we've got. And uh, they couldn't talk anyway, so it didn't make any difference <laughs> what language they were speaking. And uh, tried to get them as happy as possible to, to get up cleaned up and fed and... and uh, not scream bloody murder, which a lot of them did. Most of these kids were adopted by American families and raised in the States. Some of them eventually reconnected with their biological families back in Vietnam, 
But that's not Oma's story. She was just there briefly to help with the transition. It pretty much was the end of my gray lady days because after that, it was soon after that that we moved. Was Oakland the last place he was stationed? Yeah, that was the last place he was stationed and we left from there. To Florida? To go to Florida, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we thought we were gonna have it made and it didn't exactly work out that way. When Oma and Opa got to Florida, they found that some tweaked out bikers had been squatting in their dream home. My grandparents spent their life savings on that place and it was completely trashed. Like people had been riding motorcycles inside the house, kind of trashed. But Oma and Opa eventually found another place and spent about 25 happy years together before Opa died of prostate cancer in 1999. I don't know if there's a neat little lesson to wrap up this story with. I'm not a religious person, so I'm not gonna say everything happens for a reason. But I know a lot of folks, including Oma, would disagree. On the personal level, you know, like your family was devastated and you had to like live in these crazy situations where you didn't have enough to eat and you were moving yeah. around and you lost your house. But then look what happened at the end of it all. You know, you found I the know. love of your life. And... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what happens when you don't expect it, least of all. It happens. And it's, you just have to sort of trust. And Jim was a very religious person. And he really thought it all came from God anyway. It's just we would never have met if some higher, higher hand hadn't been involved to brought us together. And, and I, he, I'm sure he's right. He's right. I, I agree. Actually, hold up. I just remembered what the lesson of this story is. Talk to your elders now, like I said at the beginning. Whether it's your grandma or your parents or your uncle or just some older person on your block that you chat with occasionally, whatever. Or if you are an elder, now is the time to share your story with the younger people in your life and try to record it or at least write it down. Someday, someone will be grateful you did. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of East Bay Yesterday. I've been your host, Liam O'Donoghue. Also, huge thanks to my newest Patreon supporters. It means so much to me that even during this time of great economic uncertainty, there are those of you out there who care enough about this show to throw down some money to help keep it going. I appreciate it so much. Uh, if you want to support East Bay Yesterday, you can find the donate link in the upper right-hand corner of eastbayyesterday.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow East Bay Yesterday on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, sign up for my newsletter too. And if you're interested in hearing more about the Oakland Army Base, I've got another collaboration with the Oral History Center at UC Berkeley that I'm working on. So make sure you're subscribed to this podcast if you want to hear that one, which should be out in a few weeks. Okay, all of the music in this episode was written by Oma's favorite composer, Mozart, and performed by the Advent Chamber Orchestra, or Brendan Kinsella. The theme song came from Anatech. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe and stay healthy. Oh, and P.S. This episode is dedicated to my mom, Claudia, the keeper of our family history. 
Right when I was finishing this episode, she sent me a little newspaper profile of Oma that made me really happy. I'd always known my Oma as being obsessed with quilting. She made quilts for me and all the other grandkids that I still treasure. Uh, in this article that my mom sent, Oma says that she was inspired to start quilting by a show that she saw at the Oakland Museum in 1972. So even though the army base didn't make much of an impression on her, it's good to know that something here in the East Bay did change her life in a positive way forever.